During one particular summer that I was in college, I spent a period of about three months working on an offshore oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. There were moonless nights there, so black and clear that you couldn't actually tell where the sea left off and the sky began. And I would stand there sometimes in the quietness of those evenings with just the hum of the motors and engines of the rig in the background, and I would just look out into the blackness. I would see the sparkle of the lights of the rig on the waters shimmering below. I would look up and see the glint of lights on the horizon of other boats and oil rigs out there, and I would stare up into the vast canopy of space with a billion stars shining down. And it was as if all of this was just one canopy sewn together, and I was floating right there in the middle of it all. And gazing up in those nights, I felt so infinitesimally small. And I thought to myself, what is my life? Compared to all this, why am I even here? The professors I'd had back at college at Yale had never prepared me for a moment like this one. I had been immersed in all kinds of classes and teachings that said, in effect, that man was pretty much the measure of all things truly significant. That was a pretty scary thought to me at the time, if you knew the hygienic habits of my roommates. But nonetheless, this idea was sown again and again in various subtle and overt ways. I had read, of course, about civilizations that had risen up and then uh, drifted away, but I had never faced the fact that was so coldly apparent to me as I stood at the rail of that rig, staring out into that endless night, I knew in the depths of my being and that moment that eternity did not need me. This vastness did not require me. And one day, my little light was going to go out, flicker and go out. And I was going to disappear from this universe, and the whole cosmos would go on very happily without me. And the lilting lyric of a very popular song of that time, some of you will know it even now, Kansas wrote it, I close my eyes only for a moment, then my moment's gone, for all I am is dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. My apologies now if that tune is going to go through your head all afternoon. A similar thought occurred long ago to King David of Israel, some 3,000 years earlier, as he too stood in some location staring up at the vast dark night sky. Only in his case, where others only saw space, David saw a remarkable face, in a sense. 
When I consider your heavens, he writes in Psalm 8, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you actually care for them, mused David. Now, you don't hear people talking that way at all anymore. Our colleges, our cultures alike educate us to think that life is pretty much all about the work of mankind's fingers, the things that we are setting into place. The once immense skies of this vast world have now been shrunken by satellites and global airlines to manageable size, in a sense. We're seeing advances in medicine and surgery that appear to have disease and even our own mortality on the run, storehouses of information unimaginable even a generation ago are now available wirelessly at our fingertips everywhere we go. We are the customers that the Super Bowl advertisers are willing to spend millions upon millions of dollars to reach. We are the focus of the genetic studies and the social studies. Everything today seems to say it's all about us. It's all about us. But in this day, when people are consumed with that idea, with the talk of, of all that we can do, of all of our rights as human beings, of our technological superiority, it still helps sometimes to venture outside and to stare into the night, if only to remember how truly fragile and brief and ultimately unnecessary we in fact are. And the loss of a job or of a loved one can be that night for you. The, the pain of growing old or the evil that people do to each other or the vagaries of nature, these are all these reminders we are given that as much as we control, we are still not the masters of our universe. One variance in the complex chain of genealogy that led to your conception, think about this, one little variation, a missed meeting along the way over the course of history, and you would never have been. You would never have come into being. One stray comet one tick of the hands of time and everyone alive today is gone. And it's crucial to remember that in one sense, all we are is dust in the wind. Now to quote a popular comedian, that's a pretty uncomfortable thought, particularly if you've just made a down payment on a house or a bet on the Super Bowl. But uncomfortable or not, that is part of the truth that we have to grasp foundationally if we're going to understand who we really are and what on earth we are here for. Because if we don't get this fundamental reality, at least imprinted upon us in some way, we will tend to go through life misunderstanding it. 
We'll, we'll go through the journey of life vainly thinking that this whole world was made for our personal pleasure. We'll go through trying to struggle to get stuff under control that is actually not ours to control. We'll get angrier and angry and more and more disappointed because the forces of nature or God do not seem clued in on our needs. And ultimately, We'll leave life shocked and irritated that someone had pulled the plug prematurely on what should have been our party. But this is backwards thinking. And, and until we reverse our thinking, we can't make of our lives the good and wonderful thing that we are meant to. As Rick Warren puts it in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first and hardest part about understanding the meaning of life is realizing that it's not all about us. Life is all about God, the Bible teaches. In, in fact, the very word history, in a sense, is a clue to this. Life is his story. As the Apostle Paul puts it, Everything, absolutely everything, above and below, the visible and the invisible, everything got started in God and finds its purpose in Him. In other words, God does not exist for our purposes. We actually exist for His purposes. He started this party before you and I ever got here. It will continue on after we're gone, and it was never primarily for our glory in the first place. To paraphrase David, when I consider all of the works that you, O oh God, have made, who am I that, that you should have even, even invited me to the party? Who am I, a mere dust ball? a little speck of dust in the vast cosmos that you should care for me. And yet, that is the miracle. <laughs> That's the wondrous reality to which the Bible also bears witness. The miracle is that the one whom the whole universe truly is all about is mindful of you and of me and he does care for us human life is not a, a cosmic accident but it's a work of purposeful grace i want you to think about this reality with me today if you would the atoms that are you could just as e easily have been moon rocks or a ham sandwich I mean, the same stuff could have come together in that form, or never at all. But God took that dust, those particles, and in some mysterious sense, pressed it into the heat of his hands and made of that dust the most infinitely precious diamond in all of creation. He made you a human being. He made you a, a remarkable human being. 
And that is what David also understood when he goes on in Psalm 8 to say of humanity, yet you have made human beings just a little lower than the angels and you have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. In other words, David is telling us why we're here. God's plan is that you and I should share in the governance of this remarkable creation. God's plan is that you and I should act as his regents and his ambassadors on this earth to serve as caretakers and cultivators of all that he has made. And this is a much bigger and a much more important job description than some of us have settled for. When some of us say, oh, I'm just a mom, or I'm just a business person, or I'm just a kid, we're missing the fact that we are also these remarkable diamonds in the hands of God. And every role that we play in this life has the potential to fulfill God's plan that we be his redemptive agents here on this earth. In the time remaining, let me just try and get you thinking more deeply about this and applying it to your life. I want to invite you to think about a few key aspects of what it means to be a diamond in the hands of God. And in the first place, I, I encourage you to remember what even James Bond knew, that diamonds are forever. They are truly eternal things. All that we do, everything that you and I take on as we go about life this week, must be done in light of the fact that God has made us of eternal stuff. To quote the Apostle Paul, this means that if we are wise, then we will live as those who use the things of this world but are not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form, says Paul, is passing away. But our citizenship is in heaven. What Paul is saying here is that we are meant to have things, but things should not have us. What Paul is saying here is that life here is immensely important, but it's not our permanent assignment. And one of the major reasons that you and I are here is to train and to test and to tune us for an even larger life to come. We're here to learn the practices and the principles of the kingdom of heaven towards which we're moving. We're here to, to learn to set priorities, to make choices, to live by values that are not so much of this passing world, but of the eternal kingdom towards which we're moving and where we will spend the vast majority of our eternal lives. And, and a bit like when you were a baby, growing in your mother's womb, this world is just getting you ready for an even larger world to come. 
And if you're going to know who you are, you have to know that this is where you're going and this is what is happening. That this world is, in a sense, but a womb. Secondly, remember that diamonds don't have a luminescence of their own. And they don't need to. You and I were created to reflect God's glory into this world. One of our major purposes in being here is to bear witness to the glory of who God is and the splendor of his personhood, the radiance of his character, the beauty of his transforming power. And sometimes I think we exhaust ourselves trying to radiate a goodness and beauty and glory all of our own when what we ought to be putting our energies more into is actively placing ourselves in front of God's light. That's why being part of a worshiping, growing, serving community like the one in which you're sitting right now is such a crucial act, a fulfillment of your good purpose. It's why praying and studying God's word throughout the week actually matters. You'll never sparkle so brightly as when you are placing yourself regularly before God's light. As David of Israel once wrote, Blessed are those who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord, for you are their glory and their strength. Which brings me to a third thing about diamonds that are worth remembering. Diamonds need work before they shine. You ever seen a diamond in the rough? You ever actually um, held in your hands or seen photographs of what diamonds look like before they've had anybody really work on them? They're just dirty lumps at the very start. They have to be tumbled over and over again in an abrasive solution that polishes them clean, that makes them shiny. And then with careful strokes, a master jeweler comes along and places the chisel at just the right position and tap, tap, tap. He cuts the stone to create facets that reflect the light in the most amazing kind of way. And this is what's going on in our lives also. We don't have to love the tumbling. A lot of the time we hate the tumbling, the abrasions that come our way in life. We don't have to like the chisel cuts to which God subjects us. But as C.S. Lewis, a great British theologian, once said, it's crucial to remember that if God sometimes seems to allow pains that you would never choose for yourself, it is not to destroy you, but rather to make you perfect. To perfect more of the facets of your character. To polish you in a way so that you are even more beautiful than ever before. And if you've come here today in pain, feeling the abrasion, the sting of the chisel cuts of life, remember that you are in the hands of one who loves you and whose purposes in your life are good. And he will not destroy you in this process. There is a legend which illustrates a final thing about diamonds, which I hope you'll take home with you today. 
Remember, diamonds are forever. Diamonds don't have a glory of their own. They require work before they shine. And finally, diamonds don't come cheap. To get them, somebody has to be willing to pay a huge price. The story is told of a, of a village which had once been known for a mine that produced some of the finest gems in the entire world. Over the years, the people of that town had become so comfortable with the wealth that was generated from this mine that they had all but abandoned the process of going down into it any longer. The sense of joy and common purpose that had once uh, really characterized their life as they worked together to, to bring up gemstones from the darkness had all but given way now into a community that, that was largely about everyone for themselves, simply enjoying the stuff of life. All but a very few of its people became, through the course of time, very poor, actually. And in time, no one could actually even remember a time when things had been different. One day, a stranger arrived in that village. And walking among the villagers, he spoke to them of the glory that could still be theirs if they would return to the ancient way. Although some found themselves drawn to this particular stranger, attracted by his words and something about the incandescence of who he was, a lot of other people, especially the leaders in the town, saw him as a troublemaker and threatened by his very presence and the things that he was saying, they took hold of the stranger and they threw him down one of the empty mine shafts. Two days went by as the darkness of that lynching settled over the town. And then on the morning of the third day, some women from the village ran into the town square and they started claiming something absolutely outrageous. They said that while planting flowers near the old mine shaft, they'd been met by someone who they swore was the stranger, alive. Impossible, the town leaders said. The stranger's dead. It's nothing but an old miner's tale you're telling us. Then perhaps you could explain these gifts he gave us, the women said, as out from their hands spilled a cascade of new diamonds. As I said, it's just a legend, but it points to a story that is absolutely true. Because long ago, a stranger walked amongst our people when we'd forgotten why all of us were even here. He spoke of human beings as treasures beyond value. He showed himself willing to descend into the absolute depths of this world to bring them back. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that for you and for me, and he can do that with you and me if we let him. So I want to encourage you to keep coming back here 
in the days ahead. To make one of the strongest priorities of your life in this year, gathering in this community of disciples. I want to encourage you to keep coming here because God is going to show you more and more of why you are here on this earth. You are here to be the dust that Christ takes into his hands and turns to diamond. You are here to be someone who reflects his glory and extends his riches out to the people of our time in your home, in your workplace, in your community, in the neediest places of this world. As Gal Gadot said in the recent film, Wonder Woman, I'll close with this. I have touched the darkness that lives in between the light. I've seen the worst of this world and the best. I've seen the terrible things that men do to each other in the name of hatred. And I have seen the lengths they will go in the name of love. Now I know only a great love can save this world. So I stay, I fight, and I give for the world that I know can be. This is my mission now and forever. And until Jesus returns to make all things new, this is our mission too to be agents of God's life-changing love wherever we gather and wherever we go. This is why we are here. Please pray with me. Lord of heaven and earth, we ask you, to keep reminding us who and whose we are. Help us to see that it is not bad to be dust as long as we are dust in your hands. Help us to believe that though we may feel at the mercy of the wind, we are of infinite worth to you. Then make us patient to endure your shaping. Make us eager to reflect your glory. Help us to be open to receive into our hearts and reflect to others the one who came down to earth to redeem diamonds from the dark. For it is in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.